0: Okay, Luke chapter 19 will be our first reference this morning. We are continuing and Lord willing, finishing, we've been studying the last few weeks about reasons to believe the Bible by way of review on your lesson outline, the Bible claims to be divinely inspired, all scripture given by inspiration of in God, 2 Timothy 3, 2 Peter 1, prophecy Came not by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were by the Holy Ghost. The words of the Lord are pure words. Psalm twelve. The Bible claims to be divinely inspired, but we need to know the reasons we believe the Bible. Colossians four six. 1 Peter three fifteen says that we ought to be, we ought to have an answer. We we do receive the Bible by faith, but it's not blind faith. It is faith that is built upon credible. Evidence. The first of those was the continuity of Scripture. Sixty-six books, forty authors, three languages, sixteen hundred years, one cohesive unit because it's not sixty-six authors, or forty authors, it's forty penmen. But God Almighty is the lone, sole author of Scripture. So the continuity of Scripture, the endurance of Scripture, men throughout history have attempted to destroy it, but have been unsuccessful because... Jesus said, Heaven and earth pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Fulfilled prophecy. Point number three, right at the top under review. Fulfilled prophecy. God sees and declares the end from the beginning. We studied this week in Vacation Bible School the boys and girls. He dwells outside of time. He created time. And so, known unto God are all his works from the foundation of the world. Then we studied last week scientific Accuracy. The Bible is not a science textbook, but everything it says about science is right because the word of the Lord is right. The God who wrote the book is the God who ordained the laws of nature. And science is just catching up and quote-unquote discovering some things that were found in the scripture all along as far back as the very first book penned, the book of Job. This morning, point number five on reasons to believe the Bible it's archaeological Findings. Let me spell that for you. I know it's tough. It's early on Sunday morning. A R C H A E O logical. L O G I C A L. A R C H A E O L O G I C A L. Archaeological findings. Archaeological findings. I just said arch. I'm sorry. Archaeological findings archaeological discoveries. Luke 19 and verse number 40, the Bible says, and he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. If these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Now some people are upset because of praise that is being rendered to Jesus Christ. And he is answering their complaint and by saying that if, if these did not praise me, then the rocks would praise me. And I'm taking the verse a little bit out of context to make this application. But the application is this. When these people dig around in the dirt and bring out bones and bring out rocks and bring out artifacts and uncover cities and discover inscriptions, what they are doing those things that come out of the ground, the rocks and the artifacts the discoveries, they all cry out and say, the Bible is the word of God. Let men scoff, let men mock, let men ridicule, let them prove themselves to be fools by scorning the scripture and saying, this place never existed. And those people never existed, and this event never happened, and time and time and time again they're proven wrong as people keep on digging history out of the dirt, and the rocks that come out cry out and say, no, you were wrong, and this is right, and you better trust the Word of God. Archaeology rides with fascinating and amazing affirmations of Scripture's history its accuracy, and its trustworthiness. As men dig around in the dirt in search of history, what they find inevitably matches up with the historical accounts were given in the Scriptures. The stones cry out and say, the Bible is the Word of God. There are many people and places and events that skeptics once used to scoff at the Bible because they had no evidence outside the Bible that these places or people or events existed or ever took place. You understand what I'm saying? Things the Bible says happened. People the Bible says lived. Places the Bible says existed. People say, well, we've never found any evidence of any of those people or places or events, and so they're not true. The Bible's just a myth. It's a fairy tale. It's a legend. We can't trust it until they go digging around in dirt, and they find all those things, Okay. So, I've got some examples to tell you about. Try to take some notes there on your outline and follow along with uh, the, the, the flow of the lesson. Something called the Ebla tablet. I'm assuming that's how you say that. Ebla, Ebla, Ebla. <coughs> Just cover all the bases. Ebla tablets. tablets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ebla's a tough word. Okay. Professor Paulo Mathieu. Not sure I say that either. Of the Rome University began digging at Tel Mardik in northern Syria in 1964. Beginning in 1975, his team unearthed some 17,000 tablets. It took 11 years, but once they got to that 11 year mark, they hit pay dirt. The tablets were found in a room containing the royal archives of Ebla, which have remained undisturbed since the destruction of the city 4,500 years years ago four thousand five hundred years these tablets are stuck down in a room uh, covered by dirt included on the Ebla tablets is information reflect Ebla tablets that second L is escaping is information reflecting trading interests commercial activities agricultural details, diplomatic and foreign relations, the economy of the city, domestic affairs, laws, treaties and cultural matters. The tablets also included historical information religious texts, academic texts, dictionaries both monolingual and bilingual and encyclopedias. Those dictionaries and encyclopedias being the oldest ever discovered in history. So the the Royal Archives 4,500 tablets all kinds of different information. Contrary to other prominent inscriptions, of the era the tablets contained almost no texts on military matters. Among the valued information recorded, one tablet stated, for example, the city had a prosperous population of about 260,000 citizens. What's great about the Ebla tablets is that their historicity of... Uh, presents no problem since they contain simple commercial texts, not just legends or mythological tales. So when we when we discovered these tablets, it's all archives, it's all records, it's not stories. None of it, none of it is stuff that's made up. It's all stuff that they were recording, much as much like what would be recorded at the courthouse today. Okay, included on those tablets were biblical names. Now, these may not have been references to the actual people, but it shows that the names used in Scripture were common names used during that time period. The name's Eber. It's the father of the Hebrews. Eber, E-B-E-R, Abraham's ancestor. The name Abram appears. The name Ishmael. The name Esau Abimelech. You don't have to write all these down, just some of them. Jethro. I who else thinks of Beverly Hillbillies instead of Moses' father in law? <laughs> okay. Jonah. Michael. Micaiah. David. No timeless name. Saul. And then Y-A-H or J-A-H, the shortened version of Jehovah or Yahweh. Biblical names. So the actual name of the God of the Hebrews is referenced in these records. Biblical people. Here's the big one. The Hittites. The Hittites. The Ebla tablets make reference to the Hittites. What's significant about that? is the Hittites who were spoken of starting in Genesis 15 and throughout the Old Testament. The Bible used to be mocked because, because historians would say these people never existed until we dig up something from history that proves that they did exist. Then they all come and say, oh, never mind, the Bible actually is true? No, of course they didn't because all they were looking for is an excuse to not believe the Bible because they don't want to answer to the God who wrote it. But the Hittites mentioned in the Abla Tablets, biblical places Again, just jot down a couple of these Salem, Hazor, Lakish, Megiddo. That has significant prophetic importance. Megiddo, Gaza, Joppa. You might remember what happened at Joppa? Jonah got on a boat, and Peter saw a vision. Joppa, not at the same time. Those were separated (laughs) events. Damascus, Ashtaroth. the earliest known reference to Jerusalem. It's an important city in the world's history. The earliest reference to that city was on these Ebla uh, tablets. Sinai, Carchemish, perhaps most importantly, five cities of the plain. Okay, in, in Genesis 14, there is a league between the kings of Sodom, Gomorrah, and these other cities. They're called the five cities of of the plain. And uh, you find reference in Genesis 14 and then on in Genesis 19. Again, those were one of the places that everybody said these never existed until this discovery. Now, now people who believe the Bible believe they existed, people who mock the Bible mock the Bible because the places didn't exist, but they did. They're written on the Ebla tablets, the five cities of the plain. Now, another, another discovery called the Temple of Amun or Amun or Amun or Amun. Did I say that already? Anyway, inscriptions on the walls record the campaign into Israel by Pharaoh Shishak. It's a pretty cool name. Pharaoh Shishak. S H I S H A K. That was written in 1 Kings 14. I have a yes. What was the confirmation of the Five the five cities of the plain. Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, okay. Sodom and Gomorrah is what I would... The most important of those, but yeah, the five cities of the plain, sorry. The Tel Dan steel or Stele, or Steele, or Stele or Stele. <clears throat> this thing is an upright stone that is inscribed and used as a monument of an important event or achievement. Kind of like uh, when the nation of Israel in the days of Samuel... Uh, put up that Ebenezer. It was a memorial. Hitherto had the Lord help us. That, that's the kind of thing here. Rulers and peoples from Egypt, Israel, across Mesopotamia used these to commemorate great victories and accomplishments. This one is extraordinary because carved on its stone face is the expression the house of David. The house of David. This affirms that the united monarchy under King David existed in history. Flatly contradicts the long-held opinions of skeptics who deny that David ever existed. One one of the most important biblical characters was said by historians not to exist. Because he was only found in the Bible until they found this. And it it affirms and confirms the existence of King David. Then the one found at Mishah. Notice I'm, I'm... Avoiding saying the word because I'm unsure of its pronunciation and I don't want to sound stupid, more stupid than I am. Okay, this is known as the Moabite Stone and it records the revolt of Misha, king of Moab, against Israel. That's from 2 Kings 1 and 2 Kings 3. It's the role of the king of the people of Moab. Um, the, it, it also mentions Omri. The king of Israel, who was the father of Ahab, Israel's most wicked king. So it mentions Amr, the king of Israel, and David of the United Monarchy. It even refers to Jehovah, the unique name of the God of Israel. Then the palace of Sargon the palace of sargon he according to isaiah 20 verse number 1 he was the king of assyria he was the king of assyria once thought to have not existed until they discovered his palace and inscribed on the palace walls was a record of the defeat of samaria as it's recorded in second kings 17 Oh, this Sargon guy that Isaiah mentioned, he didn't even exist. The Bible's a big joke. Oh, wait, we found his palace. And his palace walls say he did what the Bible says he did. The defeat of Samaria. There's this guy named Sennacherib. Sennacherib. That's a pretty cool name. Sennacherib. His campaign campaign against Judah under King Hezekiah is recorded on the Taylor prism. So Sennacherib came against Judah in the days when Hezekiah was the king. That's found in 2 Kings 18. That's also found on this prism that was discovered. His siege of Lachish in 2 Kings 18 is recorded on the Lachish reliefs. That one was pretty Predictable. The Lachish reliefs record his siege of Lachish. His assassination... assassination, I am struggling this morning. It was a long week of BBS. His assassination by his own sons is recorded in the annals of Esser Haddon. His own sons killed him. 2 Kings 19 and they found evidence of that in these records. Okay, the tablet of I really should have figured out how to say these names. Nabopolassar, that's what we're going to go with. The ruins of Nineveh and the tablet of Nabopolassar show the fall of Nineveh happened just as predicted by the prophets Nahum and Zephaniah. So the fall of Nineveh, it was it was prophesied by Jonah, they repented, God changed his mind, spared the city, they returned to their wickedness, and so the evil that God had pronounced eventually did fall. The fall of Nineveh was foretold by Nahum and Zephaniah, and it's recorded just as the Bible says it happened on the tablets, or the tablet of Nabopolassar. The Babylonian Chronicles record the fall of Jerusalem to Nebuchadnezzar. Fall of Jerusalem to Nebuchadnezzar, spoken of throughout the Old Testament. Same history given on the Babylonian Chronicles. The Babylonian ration records. What do those sound like? Well, ration records, what they passed out to certain people. Mentions the captivity of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. J E H O I. A-C-H-I-N Jehoiakim, king of Judah He was taken captive He was taken prisoner Scripture records it The ration records (coughs) Say the same thing The Nabonidus cylinder This is interesting The king Nabonidus of Babylonia Left a magnificent cuneiform cylinder it's wedge-shaped letters inscribed on a clay cylinder, mentioning his elder son Belshazzar by name. Remember Daniel five handwriting on the wall, the feast to the gods of gold and silver, all the rest of it. And they're drinking out of the vessels that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. God comes, pronounces judgment. Critics of the Bible had claimed for years that the account in the book of Daniel was wrong. They said Belshazzar was never a king in Babylon. And that Nabonidus was not his father, but the discovery of this cylinder clearly showed these scholars were dead wrong. Indeed, we can now understand the meaning of Daniel five sixteen more precisely, where it says, "Now, if you can read the writing, make known to me the interpretation. You will be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold round your neck, and be third ruler in the kingdom." Why was Daniel offered the third position? Because Nabonidus and his son Belshazzar ruled the kingdom in a co-regency. Okay, but the the existence of Babylonian King Belshazzar is recorded in the Nabonidus Cylinder, and Dana was offered the third position because there was a co-regency. Nabonidus and Belshazzar reigned together. Oftentimes, the uh, one king would be off fighting the battles; the other monarch would remain in the palace or in the capital, ruling the kingdom. Okay. Then there's the Cyrus. Cylinder, the Cyrus Cylinder. During his excavations at Babylon, uh, Hormuz, the Rasam, a Chaldean Christian from Mosul who had assisted later to the excavation of Nineveh, uncovered a baked clay barrel about nine inches long and 11 centimeters wide. This turned out to be the famous inscription known as the Cyrus Cylinder, which tells the king's own story of his conquest. Of Babylon. The cuneiform text impressed on the clay cylinder tells of Marduk seeking a righteous man, then pronouncing Cyrus as the one destined to rule the world. It records how Babylon was taken without a battle. Remember Daniel 5? You're going to lose the kingdom tonight. Babylon was taken without a battle. How Cyrus was welcomed by the people. Then, by royal edict, the captives were released and permitted to return to their own lands. And restore their sanctuaries. Today, the cylinder is kept in the British Museum in London, recognized one of the most one of the world's most important relics. Much of what we read on the cylinder can be correlated with the Bible, in particular Isaiah 44 and 45. That is where God named this ruler approximately 200 years before. So his reign had been prophesied by Isaiah. Remember. Why not try to guess the president a hundred years from now? What's, what's the president's name? Just go ahead and guess. Tell us. <laughs> 50th term. That's funny. <clears throat> His decree is recorded in 2 Chronicles 36 and Ezra chapter 1. 2 Chronicles 36. In Ezra chapter 1. Cyrus is the one who led the troops into Babylon. Darius was the emperor. He died two years later and Cyrus uh, became the emperor. Isaiah had foretold the fall of the city and the reign of this king. Isaiah 44. We're not going to to take the time to read it. Um, uh, Having taken the city, Cyrus made it his policy to allow the captives to return their homeland and rebuild the temples. Decree of Cyrus, permitting the Jews to return to Jerusalem and rebuild their city temples, given 2 Chronicles 36, Ezra chapter 1. The words confirm the Cyrus cylinder I return to these sacred cities on the other side of the Tigris, the sanctuaries of which have been in ruins for a long time. The images which used to live in them, and I established for them permanent sanctuaries, and gathered their former inhabitants, return them to their habitations. Now, uh, there is a, a replica of the Cyrus cylinder on display at the United Nations headquarters in New York City because it's a great document of liberty, of emancipation, of freedom. And it's, it's the emancipation Proclaimed by Cyrus For the Jews to return and build The temple Pretty interesting Then there's the Caiaphas Ossuary Which is a box constructed To hold the bones of dead people After decomposition It's kind of like A fancy after casket It's a box to hold the bones Of the dead The casket's for the body if it's bones, it's an ossuary. Okay? It's a chest box building, well, or site made to serve as the final resting place of the human skeletal remains. They're frequently used where burial space is scarce. The body is first buried in a temporary grave, then after some years, the skeletons are removed and placed in an ossuary. The great little space taken up by an ossuary means that it's possible to store the remains of many more people in a single tomb than the, if the original coffins were left as is. In 1990, a startling discovery was made that shook biblical scholars and archaeologists alike. In the Peace Forest section of Jerusalem, it was discovered a burial cave containing 12 ossuaries, one of them being none other than that of Caiaphas, the high priest who presided at the trial of Jesus. This amazing discovery provides us with a powerful historical connection to the events described in the Gospels. Then, the Pilate Dedication Stone. In June 1961... An inscription on a limestone block found at a Roman amphitheater in Caesarea Maritima rocked the scholarly world. This block, which was once used as a dedication stone of a nearby temple and now reused for seating at the local amphitheater, had an extraordinary inscription. It read, Tiberium Pontius Pilate, Prefect of Judea. Those scholars who questioned Pilate's existence in the gospel accounts in general were silenced with this amazing discovery. So, found in a Roman amphitheater in June 1961, listing Pilate as the prefect of Judea. It's the Pilate dedication stone. And that's, that's just a sampling of the archaeological evidence that confirms exactly what we have recorded. The people, places, and events in Scripture. Now, number six needs you to come to Psalm 18 and Hebrews chapter 4. Psalm 18 and Hebrews chapter 4 we've 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 discussed evidences for the inspiration of scripture reasons we ought to believe the bible things that give us confidence that this is the word of god arguments we can use to convince others that this is the word of God. But one of the most important reasons and one of the strongest evidences there is, is that of personal experience. Personal experience. Psalm 18 and verse number 30 says, as for God, His way is perfect. The Word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in Him. The Word of the Lord is tried. The Bible does not need to be proven to be true, but you need to prove it to be true. It's true whether or not we believe it. It's true whether or not we prove it. It's true whether or not we try it out, but I would encourage you to put it to the test. It doesn't need to be tested to be confirmed to be true, to be the Word of God But it needs to be tested to be confirmed in your life so that you can realize the benefits and the blessings of it. And as you take God at his word and claim his promises and trust his promises and see him do what he said he will do, not just throughout history, but in your life, it will only serve to strengthen your faith and your confidence that this is the Word of God. Everyone ought to try and trust the promises of God's Word. What two things must we do with God's promises? We must try them. We must trust them. You need to find a promise to claim in your life. You need to find a prayer to pray in your life from the Word of God. You need to taste and see for yourself that the Lord is good you need to try and find out for yourself that the Bible is true we need to walk in obedience and lay hold on the promises and pray some prayers and trust God in some difficult situations and experience for ourselves the truth and the veracity of the promises in the word of God Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12 Hebrews chapter 4 in verse number 12, it says the word of God is quick, that is alive, that is life-giving and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the biting side of soul and spirit, the joints and marrow is discern of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The other reference, you don't have to turn, 1 Thessalonians 2, 13, if you're fast, you can go, 1 Thessalonians two thirteen. for this cause also, thank we God without ceasing Because that when you receive the word of God which you heard of us, you receive it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Okay? The Bible will change your life as you believe it. God will prove himself to be true as you try him and trust his promises. But personal experience is not just one of the greatest evidences to us that the Bible is the Word of God. It is one of the greatest evidences we can give to those around us that the Bible is the Word of God. Because the greatest proof we can provide to those around us is the testimony of a changed life. A changed life does as much as anything else to prove the divine inspiration or give evidence to the divine inspiration of the Scripture. People need to be able to see in us in our actions and our attitudes and our words and our demeanor in our lifestyle and our decisions. They need to be able to see in us evidence that this book is from God because it has power to change your life. So personal experience, archaeological evidence, scientific accuracy, uh, the endurance of Scripture, the continuity of Scripture, fulfilled prophecy, all great reasons to put your trust in the Word of God, but it's not just a mental trust, let it be a heartfelt trust that causes us to walk in His ways and obey His commandments and trust His promises change your lives. Amen. Father, thank you for